VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. And Joanna's back. She sees she, yeah. she was, you. Yeah. I'm back. It wasn't like, a, <laughs> eh, I tried this and I'm going to go on permanent vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Joanna, I want to talk about your vacation in a second. But before we do, uh, I've got some really exciting um, news to share with our listeners. And that is that VinePair, in partnership with Remy Martin, is presenting the Bartender Talent Academy. It's an exciting cognac cocktail competition that anyone who's in the trade that makes cocktails can enter. You have an opportunity to showcase your most creative sidecar cocktail recipe in in order to be able to compete for a chance at the grand prize, which is a trip to Cognac, France in October that allows you to test your skills against the world's best bartenders. All you need is a shaker and a passport, and you can figure out how to enter, see all the rules, all the guidelines, et cetera, by visiting www.bartendertalentacademy.com for all those details. Be awesome for everyone that listens. If you make cocktails for you to enter, um, we are looking for an amazing group of people to take part in this competition, and we're really excited about it. Awesome. Now that that is out of the way and everyone who listens is aware of what we're up to, Joanna, how was your vacation? My vacation was lovely. Thank you for asking. What did you do? We, uh, my partner Evan and I, did a nice little New England road trip. We stopped in Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Maine. We skipped over New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> Not for well, any reason, but. <laughs> I, mean, I was um, going to say you probably have beef with New Hampshire, but that's fine. No, no um, we actually joined two of our friends for a couple of nights at a lakeside resort just outside of Portland, Maine. So Very cool. Really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I drank a lot of good things. Yeah. What'd you do? What'd you, what'd you drink? What'd you eat? Um, let's see. So I kept a list as promised. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we went to this really sweet little cocktail bar in Providence, Rhode Island called the Eddie. Cool. And there I had this cocktail with tequila, honeydew, lime, dry vermouth, and coconut water. Ooh. And it was it was really good. It was really savory, actually, kind of mouthwatering type of vibe. Very cool. Oh, that was cool. that was very good. And yeah, the spot was really nice too. I think it was our first time actually back in a bar like just for drinks. Yeah, that's always that's always fun. Like when it's your first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I did mine like what one or two weeks ago. It's like it feels weird. Like I'm just here for the drinks. Like I'm not doing dinner or anything. And you're inside. It's a it's a very I don't know. It, it feels special again, which is awesome. Yeah, it did. It did feel special. Um, let's see what else. I actually at this at this lodge in Maine, they had a bottle of Cabai Sauvignon on the menu, which felt kind of random, like a, to have a Slovenian wine. Dude, I love that winemaker so much. I love those wines so much. Yes, it was awesome. I've only had the Ribula before. Uh huh. But the Sauvignon was really nice. Dude, those wines are so cool. I feel yeah. like they're credit to the lodge in Maine for like, yeah. you know. I like, know. Hey, they were very wine. What do you that... want? Yeah, they were so excited that we ordered this bottle. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, this is a ra- totally random connection to that wine, but Naomi and I randomly a few years ago were in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> don't ask why. Wow. And uh <laughs> and we um were at this random restaurant and they had this bottle on the list too and i ordered it and like the waiter kind of like how do you know to order this wine i was like i love this wine it's awesome um that's Adam, super just, cool. just confirm for me that you were not working for rudy giuliani i was not i was not um <laughs> I was but uh, yeah but um we're gonna have to find a, a new co-host 
Yeah, no, I was not working for Rudy. Um, this is well before, this is much earlier in the decade, like in the years before that was all going down. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's always like cool when you order something on the list that you can tell people got excited that you ordered and they come over and talk to you because they were excited. It's always like this really fun experience, I find. Yeah, it was nice. And then we also had, a, we also had a bunch of like really great main beer. Duh. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's, but so, so for me, here on the other side of the country, what's like, what are like the, if there were a couple of breweries, you're like, these were the ones that we were most impressed by or, or, you know, that you've got to know what, what, uh, what is Yeah, that? we had, um, so we had a seasonal session IPA from Maine Beer Company called Post Ride Snack. Interesting. Maine Beer Company, people really like. Totally. People love lunch from them. Um, and then we had Oxbow Brewing Company's uh, a beer called Surfer Rosa, which was a grisette with sea salt and uh, blood orange. Ooh, which was really good. That yeah, it tasty. wasn't. It wasn't like too juicy. It was really. It was really cool. nice though. And did you just like eat lobster rolls for every meal? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I saw Joanna posted a picture on Instagram, and I was like, I don't. There aren't many things that uh, like that one. I was like, man, I really was yeah. there. Like. I don't see a lot of food picks and I'm like, but something about just, you know, I haven't been to Maine in many, many years, but I do recall, you know, you, you get, uh, as you guys know, a, a, a lot of lobster on your mm-hmm. roll. You do. Well, and you know, our colleague, Mr. McCurdy is there this, this weekend. Did you give him tips? I did. Sweet. <laughs> see? He said he was only going to eat lobster as well. So. I know. I feel like- oh, so you're saying I can't, now I can't look at Tim's no, story. He, he's there starting today, <laughs> I think. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. I'm, that sounds great. I'm so glad you had an awesome vacation. We, we missed you though. We're glad to have you I, back. Don't worry. I caught myself up. I'm all on Sweet. So, what so, have so, you guys so, been drinking? I had to do something on that drive. Yeah. I know. Just listen to Zach and I talk. Um, Zach, so what, did you, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I uh, let's see here. So I am uh, in the process of starting uh, a subscription wine club here in the Seattle area with a friend of mine who is a chef. Cool. I don't think you paid for the ad space to pitch that, but <laughs> I know, but it, 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 okay. You can take it out of my head. Uh, I'm not going to go into more details. You can, you guys know how to find me if you have, questions. uh, but we, but one of the cool things has been that one of our real emphasis uh, points is finding, um, kind of just really interesting things that are happening in Washington, mm-hmm. Oregon, because our focus is on the Pacific Northwest. And, um, for me, because I've been, out of restaurants for you know 15 months now one of the things that i had um was really excited about in this um in launching this is really getting an opportunity to to taste things again to um explore more because between not being in the restaurant and also just not traveling at all um you know i definitely feel like there are projects that have come online in the last 15 months or that were brand new um last year that i just never got to try um or or you know people are doing interesting things and so um one of the wines I had that was I uh, really enjoyed was a uh, Pet Nat or Petit Naturel from a producer called Grain, which is in Walla Walla. Um, and it's a Pet Nat of Semillon, um, which is super tasty. Um, and they're really into um, kind of doing a lot of interesting styles, including uh, a few different Pet Nats with kind of oddball varieties, including Lemberger, which is one of my little um, secret crushes in, the, in Washington because um, it's so it used to be much more prevalent here and now there's very hmm. few vineyards left. Um, but it makes a really interesting wine, both as a still wine and as a pet nat. Uh, and then a, a Gamay from Oregon from division wine. Co. I love division. Both might be a little familiar with. 
Yeah, and this is a so a blend of fruit from the Willamette Valley and then from the Umpqua Valley further south that was really really good. Um, I mean, I enjoy Gamme. I wouldn't say I'm always super into it in the way that you know certain songs and others are, but uh, but this one was really beautiful. Like you know, bright fruit, um, just enough ripeness to be pleasant without being kind of overbearing, and a nice kind of herbal note. Like they division kind of looks at the Loire Valley in France as their inspiration and. and Gamay has grown there as well as in Beaujolais, where it's kind of more famous. And um, this is definitely more in that style, a little brighter and a little less kind of funky, earthy, um, as opposed to the way Beaujolais can sometimes be. So those were kind of my favorites uh, that I had. Although I will say that I also, today uh, recording this is uh, Thursday, and I definitely just got back from a local brewery. I was picking up beer for my son's birthday party this mm-hmm. weekend and definitely had a pint, uh, which is a collaboration between Fremont Brewing and um, a brewery in Colorado, whose name I'm now forgetting. Um, there's only a couple in Colorado, so I'm sure you all <laughs> can figure it out. Um, but that was super fun and just nice to like, took the dog, sat outside, had a beer uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning, which uh, not a total, totally normal occurrence. For yeah. Me, but, uh, you know, it was, was a fun. Very party. cool. How about you, Adam? Oh, so, well, first of all, I will say Kate and Thomas of Division make amazing wine. They do. And, I think they do Gamay really well. Um, I finally got to meet at least Thomas. I've never met Kate before. That was the last thing I did before the pandemic when he and I got to meet at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I just, you know, I think we've always been big fans of their wines, but that's cool. Are you including it in the club? Or did you have this just for fun? Um, it's it's uh, it's under strong consideration. We haven't quite mm-hmm. finalized our first okay. offering, but uh, it was it was the fan favorite when I put it up on Instagram, nice. too. So, uh, so it stands a strong chance. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, so this weekend, so I did this thing that, an impromptu thing. So basically, um, Naomi and I have a car for the next month. Um, our really good friend is out of the country. Um, and she was like, do you want my car? And I was like, oh, I really hate street parking, <laughs> but, um, I decided I would be okay with it. And so we were like, well, now that we're dealing with this and someone, i.e. me is waking up on either Thursday or Friday morning to sit in the car or move it to a Thursday, you know, from a Thursday spot to a Friday spot or vice versa. Um, we're like, well, if we're going to go through this, we need to make sure that each weekend we're doing something with the car. So yeah. um, this last weekend, we decided, like, thought, talked about, like, maybe we'll go to Cold Spring or something upstate. Um, and then, you know, Naomi really wanted to go to the Western Catskills. We have friends, one of the people that I worked with a long time ago at another uh, media company, um, he and his partner um, bought a house in Livingston Manor, like, 15 or 20 years ago, well before Livingston Manor was cool. But so we, we sort of have gone up and hung out with them before in the Western Catskills and, but it's a far drive. It's like two and a half hours. So I was like, look, I'll do it. But like, maybe like, let me just see if there's like any last minute deals uh, for hotel rooms. And I quickly looked online and um, there was a deal for this hotel at the Arnold house, which is owned by this company called Foster and Supply. Um and so we we went up there. They've done they own oh gosh, like seven hotels now in this area now, like Cali Coon, Livingston Manor, Narrowsburg, et cetera. And there is definitely having a moment, which is super cool. Um, and so I went up there and had some pretty delicious cocktails. We went to this um one like restaurant bar in Livingston Manor called Cat Skeller, which is like a pizzeria, and I had a really delicious Negroni, actually. Mm-hmm. Um that was, was really, really quite tasty and, you know, just kind of hung out there for an hour or two sipping on the cocktail and, and, you know, chatting. Um, and then, you know, the Arnold house also had a, a pretty nice bar in the basement of the, 
the little motel they've renovated into a boutique hotel. Um, and Naomi had a really good martini that was like infused with a bunch of herbs that were actually from the garden of the hotel. Um, and really just wow. very, very unique, really interesting, you know, very tasty. So that, that was my like sort of weekend experience in terms of drinks. Um, also, you know, had like a beer or two from different breweries, but nothing to write home about the, 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 the best stuff I had were the cocktails and just maybe like sort of have this realization of just how many, um, you know, how much like the craft cocktail movement has expanded to even now these, you know, small sort of vacation towns that are having a re- revitalization where, you know, the town has like one tiny little grocery store, um, you know, two or three restaurants, but also has a cocktail program designed by Apothecary, <laughs> which I think is just yeah. so funny. Um, but yeah, that, that's, so that's what I was up to this weekend. Well, and I wonder, you know, you, I think we, we've talked about this on the podcast a couple times recently and, and it's come up with some interviews too, where like that whole realm, right. Of like these, uh, vacation spots, getaway spots on the, especially in the kind of Northeast. Like I hear more and more people, you know, uh, you know, that are either have already moved into these kind of spaces to operate or are really seriously looking at it. And it's super cool. I mean, I, I think it's fantastic that, that there are the opportunities to have these great cocktails. And like, you know, you described Adam and like, we've talked about, I think months ago when we were talking about like what, what it's going to be like returning to bars post pandemic being able to offer something that you just no person can recreate, right? Like it's out of their garden. Like, yeah, maybe you can find those ingredients at home. And if you really want to try to, you can, but like that is such a cool and unique uh, experience that just can't be recreated at home. It can't even maybe really be recreated at a bar in New York city. It's like, it it is a real selling point to these, to these kinds of destination types. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's such a draw for people visiting those places. And then also the people who have, purchased homes like you know weekend homes or vacation homes in those areas too where like you said adam like livingston manor has very few (laughs) new places to go to um you're probably if you're visiting you're going to want to go to catskiller or one of the other few spots you mentioned yeah and i think it is yeah i mean it makes sense if you have like a a vacation home that doesn't mean you're going to want to go up there and always cook right so being able to have like a few of these places that still do feel like they have some sort of connection to the urban center that you probably live in full time is, is really interesting that that's like definitely a movement that's, that's growing. Um, so for today's topic, a little bit of a hot button issue. Um, we were chatting, uh, amongst the three of us about how sort of like, there's this, this hashtag that sort of popped up, especially like on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter, but mostly on Instagram when people, um, take pictures of wine and the hashtag is hashtag real wine. Um, and we sort of started chatting between the three of us, like what the F is real wine? Because whenever you use a hashtag like that, you're saying that there is other wine that is fake wine, I guess. Mm -hmm. So my like sort of question to you is what is real wine? (laughs) I have an answer. (laughs) Let me, let me give you my answer first. This is, um, so real wine is anything that's not the wine product that you can get at the grocery store or pharmacy in New York City. Is that it? I could say that, yeah. <laughs> okay, Zach, you can actually guess. <laughs> I mean, I think I think this is one of those things, you know, Adam, you mentioned a moment ago, and I think this is a really good point, that one of the real challenges with this kind of term is that 
what it is implicitly mm -hmm. saying about other wines. And, you know, I, so I was curious when we were prepping for this and I went and looked, you know, part of the reason I think this became um, more and more popular as a term and as a hashtag is there's um, the real wine fair, um, which is um, a, a British kind of organized thing, which is really aimed at, you know, they have a sort of set of tenants that um, you can find on the website that sort of say, you know, here's what we're aiming to do. Um, and it's to, you know, basically showcase these styles of wine, um, you know, made with the, some of these kind of considerations. I think to me, I, I think I, I have a lot of possible qualms with this. And the biggest one is just, yeah, the, that implication that other wines are unreal or less real or something. Um, but I also think that like like other terms that that lack any real precision in their definition, it is open to exploitation and um and uh you know misinterpretation and you know kind of selective application and so you know like like as an example right so one thing that you i see again on like the real wine fair website uh, i saw looking is like you know here we are talking they have you know they have a whole seminar that's all about um you know wines made in amphora okay well you know the the I think most of those people would say, most of the people who support hashtag real wine would say, we don't want wines that are made in, you know, a lot of new oak. But why is a vessel, why is a new oak vessel that imparts a lot of flavor to the wine unacceptable, but uh, but an amphora, which also dramatically affects the flavor of the wine, an acceptable thing? Like, clay isn't more natural than wood. Is it just that new oak barrels are really expensive and associated with a certain style of wine? Well, fine, but then we're but then we're really talking about a stylistic preference, not something that's rooted in anything truly, um, you know. It doesn't necessarily have a philosophy behind it. It has a an aesthetic behind it, and and fine. But then I again come back to the problem with the term. Yeah, I mean, like so. This is what what my issue is. I, so I one hundred percent support Joanna's definition. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know basically like real wine is anything that's not mass produced. You know, mega purple yeah, wine, Belgrin and you know, all kinds and look, of shit. those wines have a place. Mm -hmm. I like. I, I think that those are wines that you know, obviously, totally have a place in certain parts of society. That doesn't mean that you know. I think that you know, Manischewitz is real wine. Like yeah. I drink, you know, like for for holidays, it comes out. But come on. Um, you know, I think when it's like when it's made in the lab according to a formula, uh, based on lots of different you know tasting po points that they're trying to hit in order to deliver you know the best X flavors at a six dollar price point, that's very different. Um, but I do think then you know once you start looking at what we would call print fine wine, I think once you start trying to divide fine wine into what is real and what is not, you have the same issues you have with any of these other sort of terms where you can't really define them. Um, and that's why I think it's just kind of, it just comes off as being kind of obnoxious. Like, you know, so that, because you're basically, because these are shots being fired, not at, you know, mass produced wines. These are shots being fired at other fine wines, to be fair. Um, you know, the people who are using this hashtag are not, um, are not using it in order to call out, uh, you know, Yellowtail. Yeah. 
right? They're not calling out Yellowtail. They're calling out another wine of a similar price point, but of which they think doesn't do the, you know, the things correctly. Um, and that I think is problematic. I mean, I think the piece that we ran this week uh, on the site written by Jamie Good was really interesting to me because I think what, you know, a lot of things he said were, were very on point, right? I think that, you know, the majority of the wine community who is making really high-end wines, you know, does owe a lot of positives to like, let's say the natural wine movement, right? Sure. There's a lot more people embracing organics, biodynamics, um, you know, purity of fruit, et cetera, in the cellar, which is all really positive things. And those are the styles of wine that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, you know, I like wines that, you know, showcase more of the actual fruit, less of the oak, um, that showcase, but, but that's the same reason as we've discussed before, why I don't like wines that are, you know, full of bread and stuff like that, because then I think it's the same kind of flavor, just different. That's covering, what should be, you know, the beautiful produce, let's say that, you know, actually someone took a lot of care to grow and make sure, you know, was right to the perfect level, et cetera. Um, so I, but I think some people do prefer those wines and I don't think that makes them any less real on either side. Yeah. Right. So like if you prefer a wine that, you know, has a lot of Brett in it or a lot of VA or things like that, because those are the kinds of wines you've just, you know, you're into, those are still real wines to you. The same as the person who, you know, really likes a specific style of Napa Cabernet that is, you know, big and bold and extracted and, you know, full of oak. Um, that's a special wine to someone else. And all of those are real. So that's why I just, I don't get why in wine there, there's this desire to have those kinds of, you know, pivot points. Like we're not, that this doesn't happen in other areas of alcohol. Like we don't have like real bourbon yeah, or like real vodka, you know, it's yeah. like, I mean, and maybe it's because, I don't know. Do you guys think that this, this happens in wine so much because there really is no craft movement because the art of making wine is craft. I guess that's my, that's my bigger question for both of you is like, do you think that this happens more in wine with these, these sort of hashtags that get picked up and then adopted by certain sex just because like, Wine doesn't really have a craft movement because the nature of winemaking is craft. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do think that that's part of it. Like the, there's this, I mean, it, this group of, I'm trying to not say natural wine here. It's like the natural wine movement movement was claiming to be like the craft movement of wine. Right. I think that that's true. Yeah. And I, I want to add a thought here, but I also want to ask Joanna a question first, which is like, Adam just mentioned, and I think it's a good point that, you know, you don't necessarily see hashtag real bourbon or whatever. Is there like, I, I could look, I guess I have my phone right here, but is there like hashtag real food? Like, is this, because I think sometimes yeah, wine and food get more tied together than wine and other beverage alcohol. Yes. There, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, I, I don't know about the hashtag. I'm sure there's a real food hashtag, but but I, I would say that there's a similar movement of like, you know, organic food um, without additives as that exists in opposition to, I mean, it's kind of in opposition to everything else, but I think it was meant to be in opposition to like junk food originally, sure. probably. But, but yes. And I think it's, I mean, they both have this judgment attached to it 
which I think is really problematic. Yeah. And I wonder too, you know, to, to Adam's point about real bourbon or real vodka or whatever, I think part of the difference might be that we accept or, or people internalize to some extent that all vodka, all bourbon is part of a process, right? You look at a, a kernel of corn or a grain of wheat or whatever, a potato, you don't think like, well, that's basically just vodka or bourbon. Like it, it, we understand that there's a long process that between those, the raw inputs and the final product. And I think wine both has intentionally sold the the idea, even long before hashtag real wine or natural wine or any of that has sold the idea that, you know, from grape to glass is, you know, basically like one small step that we don't even really need to talk about. And in reality, wine, all wine is a very unnatural product. Like wine does not occur naturally. Like vinegar is a natural product. Um, you know, like rotten fermented grapes are a natural product. Like wine requires human intervention to exist. And the extent of that intervention can vary, but pretending that there is any such thing as no intervention or even really honestly low intervention wine is a rhetorical trick that people use because it sounds good, but it's not really honest. And so to me, I think the reason why these things take hold is because, again, the, the, the concept of wine, as we think about it, and as most people think about it, we don't recognize the human hand in in wine, all wine. And um, and yes, there is a difference between the human hand holding a vial of mega purple and the human hand, you know, whatever, pushing down, uh, you know, you, you know, you know, crushing grapes or stirring uh, leaves or whatever. Right. Like those are not necessarily the same thing. And I don't want to claim that they are. But I do think it, it's best to be honest about, you know, we can't really talk about wine without human intervention because it just doesn't exist. Well, yeah. And I think that that, then there becomes this like this, you know, connection to, or this, this fear of technology amongst certain uh, people potentially who are using the hashtag where it's like, well, if we're not doing stuff as, you know, as the way it was done, you know, hundreds of years ago, then we're not actually making wine. We're yeah, the whole amphora know, thing, right? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's just about fetishizing ancient technology when like it's not you know fine i guess sure right so so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna put out a i'm gonna, I'm gonna give an example here you guys just gotta bear with me right okay. go with me just go with it be like adam we totally see how this connects <laughs> you know okay so this morning or recently the new york times published uh an article about whether or not natural deodorant was better for you i don't know if you guys saw this, this article i did but not. for the for like, you know, the last, I don't know, five to 10, five years at least, there's been a, a fervent, you know, call that like, we should all be using natural deodorants, that like antiperspirants and deodorant, like regular deodorant is unnatural, uh, that it has all these side effects, et cetera, right? And so the Times decided, like, let's do a piece and like actually figure this out. Let's talk to, you know, dermatologists, scientists, et cetera. And like what they found is that claim is bullshit, that basically... There's no scientific data that at all links, you know, antiperspirant to any issues. Um, actually, like the the idea that it was linked to certain kinds of cancer all stems from a, a 90s uh, chain email that went viral. That basically people started, you know, like forwarding in, in initial emails that was like, this is why you shouldn't use antiperspirant. Like there have been multiple scientific studies, like they cannot find the connection and that actually in a lot of the natural deodorants, there are potentially more 
there is more likelihood that people will have potentially allergic reactions, skin rashes, et cetera, because the kinds of oils that are being used in them in order to mask the smell are are being derived from pure sources, like you know, pure lemon extract, et cetera, that actually can be really irritating to certain people. So, you know, that idea was like, okay, this is better. Actually, it was kind of proven wrong. It could be better for some people. Some people may prefer it, was was the idea, right? But it is not 100 percent easily better. All that is to say, to connect to deodorant back to wine, (laughs) is that in the same regard, like there's no research at all that proves these wines are better for you that are real. There's no research that proves that they are better expressions of, you know, a terroir or a place that are real. But there are some people that prefer them. Right, it's Um, a matter of taste. It's a matter of taste, right? I personally do not like sweating and I wear antiperspirant. (laughs) You know, that is... Right. That is my personal decision. <laughs> if you choose to wear natural deodorant, I may not stand next to you in the subway in the summer. <laughs> that is still your decision. Right? Like, and I respect it. I just don't want to be near you. And in the, in the same, you know, in the same regard, like if you choose to drink, you know, one wine or the other, that's your personal preference and your personal choice. And I just, yeah, I, I think it's so silly that we try to have these ridiculous camps when I think at the end of the day, the whole idea is let's bring as many people into this world as possible. Let's make it as open and inclusive as possible. Um, Let's not start drawing all these phony lines in the sand and saying, well, we want you to be part of the community, but only if you drink wines like this. That to me is just so stupid and I just don't get it. So when I see hashtags like this on Instagram, especially, you know, I'm like, what are we doing here for people? Like we're, we're not doing the work. We're not actually like helping people, you know, understand wine or making them feel comfortable. We're literally telling them there is a right and a wrong beverage in this space. And it's just so dumb. Rant over. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I wonder too, you know, um, to come back a little bit to the, to the point Joanna was making earlier about, you know, real food and all that there is, and the point you were making Adam, about sort of um, this kind of, issue where people where these wines where they're competing against other fine wines with this term they're trying to kind of differentiate themselves it's not six dollar grocery store wine so much but i think that again the other the other thing is it's so um it's so hard to disentangle this notion that you know large production corporate scale wine is in a lot of cases especially at the at that you know lower price point is pretty manipulated. Like there's no denying that. It's just the reality of those wines is that for the most part to get them on store shelves at, you know, that price, you know, the winemaking involves a lot of technology, a lot of science, additives, things like that. And again, I I think like you, there is a place for those wines. I'm not saying they shouldn't exist, but to connect that and to say that, that wines that are made, that may not be fully organic, may not be biodynamic, may not be you know, low intervention in the way that, that these kinds of um, groups would typically define them, that those wines are, but that are made thoughtfully, um, you know, without, you know, kind of massive technological intervention to say that, that actually those other wines are similar to, you know, uh, mass produced wine than they are to hashtag real wine is just, again, it's, it's not true. It, I mean, I don't think under any real definition other than very, precise and um, sort of purposely drawn ones, is it really fair to say that those two um, categories have much in common with one another? And then in fact, 
uh, quote unquote, conventionally made fine wine is is in these days, especially in part because, as you mentioned, uh, and as Jamie's piece mentioned, because of the influence of natural wine and other low intervention movements and uh, movements focused on organic and sustainable viticulture and all that. Like there just isn't that big a difference. I mean, I don't go to wineries these days and and see, you know, they don't, you know, just yeah, some of them might add nutrients to their yeast and some or uh, and might add yeast and some of them might, you know, water back or might add acid or sugar depending on where they are, like to to you know help with fermentation of the finished wine or whatever. But like by and large, those are the same things that people have been doing in wine for a really long time, and the the true technological marvels that allow for four or five dollar bottles of wine like those don't come near most of these things that we're talking about yeah that makes sense i don't know that was my i don't know if it was a rant exactly <laughs> but but that was that, that's what i got on this because i just I get, like you adam and like you joanna i i get so it just it's so unnecessarily yeah it's so unnecessarily divisive and yep and sort of like again just like i i, I would i can't imagine someone saying to my face and me not laughing at them or getting angry like oh well this is a real wine that isn't and just like get the fuck out of here with that yeah i think there's just this part of being it feels exclusive and you can be a part of this like exclusive more exclusive community by saying you drink real wine and it just feels so senseless and like you said adam it just feels it feels yeah like we're not fostering an inclusive wine drinking community and why wouldn't we want to do that Right. I mean, like the biggest things we can learn from the last year and a half or so is that like there have been some major issues that we need to correct and inclusivity is one of them. So like why would we keep sort of trying to, you know, create barriers? And again, like why would we create anything where we need – where we can pick at it? Like because again, like you can take your definition either way, right? Is real wine only made by people who receive degrees in winemaking? Because there's a lot of people I know who use real wine as a hashtag who are for sure self-taught winemakers, right? So like is real wine when you only use amphora and neutral oak barrels? Like like it just – again, it's it's so ridiculous that it just doesn't really seem to make sense. Why don't we just have hashtag like I love wine? (laughs) You know, that makes makes a lot of – I'm going to go start adding that to all my books because it's true. Yeah. And that just makes more sense to me. So anyways, I think we're on the same page. I'd love to hear what um, listeners think. If you agree with us, disagree with us, shoot us an email at podcast at vinepair.com or, you know, at vinepair on Instagram, hashtag vinepairwine, uh, you could do or whatever. Um, and let us know your thoughts about this. Because again, it's becoming a, 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 you know, a hashtag I'm seeing more and more and more. Uh, let's put a stop to it together. Only yeah. you can prevent hashtag real wine. <laughs> Oh, I, I feel like it. Smokey the Bear is great. I know. Well, <laughs> Joanna, uh, Zach, this was another great conversation. I'll see you both next week. Sounds great. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. 
I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again. VinePair, in partnership with Remy Martin, presents the Bartender Talent Academy, an exciting cognac cocktail competition. Showcase your most creative sidecar cocktail recipe to compete for a chance at the grand prize, a trip to Cognac, France in October, to test your skills against the world's best. All you need is a shaker and a passport. Visit www.bartendertalentacademy.com for all competition details.